Well, what's up, Shoreline? Come on, take three seconds to tell Jesus how much you love him. Do you love him? We are so grateful for the grace of God, so grateful for the leadership of this house. How many know we give all glory to God, but we have no problem honoring a man and a woman who laid down their life for this church several years ago? If your life has been changed here at this church and you love your pastors, come on, every location, can you clap your hands and show your love for your pastors? We love them. I think this is the best time for you to give like you've never given before, pray like you've never prayed before, serve like you've never served before. Because I believe what God has in front of you is going to be so much greater than anything you've ever thought or imagined. And I think there are moments or key moments where we can appreciate the goodness of God for the past. But then there's a faith that begins to rumble up on the inside of us to believe that there just might be some more available. Anybody believe God for more? And today I want to welcome every location, uh, the North Campus, the North location. We love you. We love Bishop Vars and we love Antigua. Gloria a Dios. We're grateful for every location here. And we honestly, we do love your pastors. They are the real deal. And what you see is what you get. What you see on stage is what you see off stage. We've been able to be friends for a long time now and I just want to th say it's a huge honor to be here I'm glad they're getting some rest though they're going to come back fired up with vision so pray for them and I brought my family here too you want to see my family my, well too bad even if you don't it's, here they are I'm kidding this is my family my, I married a spicy Latina somebody come on 21 years and then we've had four girls we have four girls we had four girls under two they were two, one, and twins were zero. It's because we're such good planners. We, you've seen a double stroller. We had a triple stroller and one on a leash. Don't you judge me. Don't you judge me. You do what you got to do. 16 diapers a day. I was a diaper changing machine. A lot of estrogen in the house. Sometimes I walk in the room and just start crying for no reason. <laughs> What's wrong, Daddy? I don't know. So in touch with my feelings right now. So we got a male dog. Hey, if, you can fit, if that dog can fit in a purse, that ain't no dog. That's a cat. His name is Buddy. That's my family. Well, um, you guys ready for the word today? Are you ready for the word today? Come on, every campus, grab your Bible or grab your cell phone and go to the book of 2 Timothy chapter 1. 2 Timothy chapter 1. We're going to attempt to try and go through an entire chapter today. Yes, that's right. We're going to fulfill your entire Bible reading plan for the week in one day. And we're going to unpack this together. And honestly, if I could show you my hand, like if we were playing cards, I'd show you my hand. Here's my hand right up front. I want more people to go through growth track and get in connect groups and get on the team because that's when life comes alive. All right. Let me ask you a question. Have you ever started a fire before? No, like an intentional one. <laughs> Some of the kids are like, yes. No, an intentional one, but like without the assistance of those Duraflame logs, like a real fire from scratch. Wave at me, wave at me. Okay, it's not the easiest thing to do in the world, and this is going to come as a, as a shock to some of you. I'm not the biggest outdoorsman. There, I said it, okay? Uh, I'm not, matter of fact, I only own a flannel because of fashion. <laughs> Any campers out there, you just love camping, you love being in the, wild, the woods, you love not taking showers for a week, be all stinky and dirty, it's just, oh, I love it. No, that's not me. Motel 6 is camping for me. So, 
you could, you, could, you could understand my dilemma when I was camping one day with the family and a need arose for us to have a fire. Well, I step up because I'm a man and it's in my blood. I'm going to make a fire. Me, man, me make fire. <clears throat> so I like to do manly things. Like I like to hunt for deals at the mall. Anyway, we are, we're there and, and we... we we get some logs, I get some logs, and I, I put them in like a Boy Scout-ish formation, and, and I, I take a match, and I light the match, put it under the log, nothing happens. I light another match, put it under the log, nothing happens. Light another match, under the log, nothing happens. And, and this is now getting awkward because there's a crowd surrounding me. Like, my man card is at stake here. Are you following me? Like, I gotta make this work. So I do what any man does when he's pushing the corner. We improvise. And I went over to the barbecue pit. I found some lighter fluid. And I baptized these logs in the name of the Father, Son, and the Holy Spirit. And this time, when I light the match and threw it out, it was like something out of a movie. You've seen an explosion, and they walk away in like a slow motion. And you know what I'm talking about? This is exactly what took place. I lit the match. This thing was baptized in lighter fluid. This time when I dropped it, it was like, boom. This log is on fire. It was, it was a raging fire for 20 seconds till all the fumes burnt off. And, and how many know we don't need a raging fire for 20 seconds? I need a fire that lasts. So here's what I did. I went into the woods and I found some small twigs and I put them underneath the large logs. I, I set them on fire and I found out that they catch fire quicker, but they don't last long. So I would set the small twigs underneath the large logs, light them on fire, and I would fan the flame. I grabbed some more small twigs, put them underneath the large logs, light them on fire, and I would fan the flame. I would take some more small twigs, put them underneath large logs, light them on fire, and I would fan the flame. Pretty soon, the small twigs caught the large logs on fire, and then I no longer needed the small twigs because the large logs were already on fire by themselves. Pretty soon, we had a raging, legit, Fire. And in that moment, I became a man. I suddenly grew a beard. An axe appeared in my hand, and I shot an Old Spice commercial right there on the spot. Come on, somebody. People enjoying the fire. I'm like, you like that fire? I made it. I'm a firebender. But even this fire, how raging it was, did not continue because I had to throw another log on there in like an hour. And by midnight, this raging fire had gone down to nothing more than smoldering ash because fire cannot continue without constant fuel. It is this imagery that an old man in the Bible named Paul gives a young preacher named Timothy. 2 Timothy chapter 1, verse 6 is our theme verse for the day. And Paul is writing Timothy and he says, Timothy, I want to remind you to fan into flame the gift of God which is in you. Turn and tell somebody, it's in you. Come on, turn and tell them, I'm glad I got to sit by you. Tell them, I'd be the best looking person in the room if it wasn't for you. I'm reminding you to fan into flame. Can you turn to them one more time and tell them the sermon title, Fan the Flame? Come on, turn and tell your second choice, Fan the Flame, Fan the Flame. Keep this example, we'll come back to it in just a moment, but allow me to give you some historical context. The year is 67 AD in which this book is written, and it's written by a guy named Paul. Paul used to be a Christian hater until he became one. 
And he would become the greatest missionary the world has ever known aside from Jesus Christ himself. He's not riding from a beach or a hotel. He's riding from a prison. Because there's a sadistic ruler named Emperor Nero who's in power. And this guy would hate Christians, kill Christians, and take some of the Christians' bodies and impale them and then use their bodies and corpses as torches to light his party. This guy has Paul in a prison. Paul, out of the 13 books that he would write in our New Testament, this is his last one. It's emotional for me as I read this old man's writings because he's such a hero of the faith and he died alone. I actually went there in Rome and I was able to go into the very place where Paul penned this letter and I brought a video to show you. Check it out. I'm walking down right now into what is called the Mamertine prison where Paul the apostle would have been held captive awaiting really what tradition says is his beheading from Nero. This place is cold, it's damp, it's musty. It really is a hole in the ground. And this is where he would write to a young preacher named Timothy to encourage his faith. You can imagine this little cave-like cell where he's writing to encourage somebody else that blows my mind. As he's there writing to encourage somebody else, telling Timothy, stir up the gift that's inside of you. And this is where he would say, I'm already being poured out like a drink offering. And his whole life, he says, I've fought the good fight, I've finished the race, I've kept the faith, and now there's a crown laid up for me. And not just for me, but for all who call on the name of the Lord and look for his appearing. And this is actually the area that they would have lowered him down the only light that would come would be from this hole in the ground. In this place, he's encouraging somebody else while he's having probably the worst season of his life. I can't believe I'm standing here right now. I thank God for Paul. I thank God for his perseverance and his example. Read 2 Timothy and picture him writing from here. My family and I read the entire book, four chapters, in one setting, and we wept as we thought of him writing this dark, damp dungeon. He's writing to a young pastor named Timothy, and he's nervous. Timothy is insecure. He's a young leader who's had a lot of leadership thrust on him at a young age to which I could, I, I could relate. And he's got some stomach issues. He's nervous. And Paul is writing to him to let him know how not to collapse. In a society that is collapsing all around us, Paul says, here's how not to. And he starts off in verse 1 as we start from the top of the chapter by saying, Paul, an apostle of Jesus Christ by the will of God, in keeping with the promise of life. Somebody shout the promise of life. And that is found in Christ Jesus. Here's what's interesting. Paul was letting him know where the promise of life comes from. Okay, look at me, everybody. All of us are looking for more. All of us are looking for the promise of life. And we look in random places, but you're not going to find it apart from Jesus Christ. There was an interview several years ago of some teenagers who were, they were hurting people on the streets randomly for no reason. Just hurting people. 
So the interviewer was confused and baffled by this. And he said, why are you guys doing this? And their answer was astounding. They said, what else is there? Like, that's your answer for hurting people? Like, there's nothing else? And it dawned on me, when your life is empty, you'll settle for emptiness. Listen to me, everybody. You don't have to settle for emptiness. John chapter 10, verse 10 says, the thief comes to steal and to kill and to destroy and to empty. Jesus said, that's what he came to do. Let me tell you what I came to do. I came to give you life. It's abundant life. It's real life. It's eternal life. And it can start right now. I know you might've came in here today and you feel empty on the inside because of what you've been doing. Listen, Jesus Christ is the resurrection. He is the life and he wants to bring you back to healing and purpose again. Come on, somebody take three seconds and clap your hands and thank God for life. It's the promise of life found in him. Verse two, he says to Timothy, my son, he wasn't his biological son, he was a spiritual son. We can count about 13 guys in the Bible that Paul would consider sons. He invested in, poured his life into. And this is where they met. Paul comes to a city called Lystra. Everybody say Lystra. Paul preaches, they don't like the sermon and they stone him. If you don't like the sermon, you can just walk out. They didn't like the sermon. They took him outside the city gates and stoned him like with rocks. Somebody like stoned him. That sounds pretty. That was all right. No. With rock. Like they try to. I had to clarify because I'm from California. Okay. So they stoned. They think he's dead. Paul is so OG. He stands up, dusts himself off, and goes right back into the same city that tried to kill him for preaching Jesus Christ. What do you do to a guy like that? Nothing. They said, Paul, we're going to kill you. He was like, that's cool. To die is gain. They said, Paul, we're not going to kill you. We're going to let you live. He was like, that's cool. To live is Christ. They said, Paul, we're not going to kill you or let you live. We're going to make you suffer. He was like, that's cool. I reckon that the sufferings of this present time is not worthy to be compared with the glory that shall be revealed unto me. If you kill me, I'm going to be with Christ. If you let me live, I'm going to live for Christ. And if you make me suffer, I'm just going to get more reward from Christ. So bring it on home. It's all Christ to me. This guy comes to Lystra, preaches, and his first missionary journey comes to this very city. Well, guess where Timothy was from? San Antonio. I'm kidding. Lystra. He's from Lystra. That's where he met him the first time. Paul comes around a second missionary trip. Looks at Timothy now about 16 years old and says, boy, there's some potential in you. Why don't you come follow me? Timothy says, I'm down. And Paul's like, how down? Because in Acts chapter 16, the Bible says that Paul tells Timothy, I need you to go get circumcised. Excuse me? Like, this is not a baby. This is a 16-year-old man. But that was a sign of God's covenant with his chosen people in the Old Testament. I know it sounds a little fishy, a little weird, a little strange, but it's, it's symbolic. It's the cutting away of the flesh. It's the way that God chose Abraham and says, this is going to be my covenant with you to which I would be mad if I was Abraham. If I'm Abraham, I'd be like, God, that ain't fair. This is my sign of a covenant. Noah got a rainbow. <laughs> You talk about a way to kill church growth. Hey, who wants to be a volunteer here at Shoreline? Great. Sign up in the lobby. We're having adult male circumcision in the back. Like, are you kidding me? But Timothy does it. He's a spiritual son. He's like, I'm down. 
The commitment of Timothy comes, and then all of a sudden, Paul begins to train him as a son. Okay, listen, in 1 Corinthians 4, the Bible says, Paul is writing, we have 10,000 teachers. We lack fathers. Would you agree with that? I was at a conference one time five years ago, some young pastors on staff, on the stage, and they said, what's the greatest need of your generation? I said, fathers. We need fathers. We... We have a lot of mentors, but we lack fathers. There's a man who raised his hand. He was like, what's the difference? And I never thought about it before, but I said it without even filtering, and I think it might be right. I said, a mentor is somebody you can call. A father calls you. We are living in one of the most fatherless generations the world has ever known. We live in a generation that loves to be mothered but hates to be fathered. We like to be coddled, but we don't want anybody to get in our business. We need some men of God to stand up and to father this next generation. How many think it's time that we start new connect groups and we get some men to say, I'm willing to invest in the next generation. I'll love them. I'll pray for them. I'll encourage. They may not be my biological son. They could be a spiritual son. I'll train them. I'll rebuke them if I have to, but I'm going to build them and prepare them for what God has for their life. I think you ought to clap your hands and thank God for every spiritual father. That's what I love about your pastor. Such a spiritual father. And you have a great heavenly father. So even if you don't know your earthly father, let me just tell you, I don't know who this is for. The devil has so attacked earthly fathers because he knows you will then project that on your heavenly father. If your earthly father's been abusive, aloof, and absent, you turn around and think God is abusive, aloof, and absent. He is not. He is a perfect heavenly father. He loves you to the depths. He will never leave you. He will never abuse you. You need to come back and get a fresh view of who he is. Because your view of God will determine your approach to God. Are you listening today? So he comes along and says, I want to be your father. And this happens in a moment where Timothy is now picked to be a leader in the future. He goes on, grace, mercy, and peace from God. Grace is giving you something you don't deserve. Mercy is withholding the judgment you do deserve. And the result is the peace that comes from almighty God. Okay, watch this, watch this. When you make peace with God, the peace of God will flood your soul to where you can be (laughs) panic-proof. And then Paul says, I serve God with a clear conscience. What's a clear conscience? It means you messed up, you did some stuff, and it's bugging you on the inside. You all know what that feels like. I do too. Like you hear this whisper. What you doing raising your hands? What you doing coming to church? You know what you, you know where you, Paul says, no, no, no. You can serve God with a clear conscience. The world will tell you put time and space and that will heal all wounds. Time does not heal all wounds. Newsflash, Jesus heals all wounds. 2,000 years ago, Jesus came down to earth, gave his life on a cross, and he paid for your sin and for mine so that we could be cleansed and have grace, mercy, and peace and a clear conscience. I was preaching one time at a church, and I was like, hey, how many thank God for a second chance? And the church was like, why? Because that's how I envision you responding when I'm preaching. And then I said, how many thank God for a third chance and a tenth chance and a hundred chance and a million chance? And the church was like, why? Afterwards, this 17-year-old girl came up, and she was like, Pastor Sean, I liked your sermon, but I disagree with one part. And I was like, what is it? She's like, oh, yeah, that one part where you said that, um, thank God for a second chance and a third chance, 100 chance, million chance. She said, that's actually not theologically correct. I said, really? Why? She said, it's always a second chance because he forgot the last one. 
Oh, is there anybody grateful today that when Jesus Christ forgives you, it always is a second chance because he forgot the last one. Come on, clap your hands and make some noise and thank God for grace, mercy, and peace. And a second, it's complete, it's total forgiveness. Paul says, I serve God with a clear conscience and I'm praying for you. You ever had somebody say, I'm praying for you and you weren't sure if they were? Well, guess what? Hebrews tells us Jesus is praying for you. Paul was praying for him. And why does he say clear conscience before prayer? I'll tell you why. Because without a clear conscience, you don't want to pray. Without a clear conscience, you don't want to go to church. You don't want to serve. You don't want to give. It's important to have a clear conscience because sin and shame are what the devil uses to keep you from experiencing the love of God and to keep you from fulfilling your calling. Am I rolling this out too fast? Are y'all with me? Come on, are y'all with me? Verse four, verse four, Paul was looking at Timothy. He's trying to get his attention and he says, I'm greatly desiring to see you being mindful of your tears that I may be filled with joy. Like I am so filled with joy to see your development. Then verse five hits, he starts talking about generations. He says, I call to remembrance the faith that is in you. It first dwelled in your grandma, Lewis, and then in your mom, Eunice. And now I'm convinced and persuaded it's in you too. God is a generational God. Abraham, Isaac, Jacob. In this case, it was Lois, Eunice, Timothy. How many are the first Christian in your family? Wave at me, every location. Oh, come on, let's clap our hands for every hand. You say, Sean, why are you clapping your hands? Because you just changed the trajectory of your entire family. For generations, they won't have to face what you went through. You're a trailblazer. We pass down a lot in family, don't we? We pass down our looks. We pass down our, our, our values. We pass down culture, music, and recipes. Let me just tell you, don't forget to pass down your faith in Jesus Christ. Oh, don't rely on the youth group at church and kids church to do it. That's supplemental. We raise our kids at home. We worship together. We pray together. We serve together. We bring them to every service together, every prayer meeting, and we make it fun. In worship and prayer meeting, our girls would be looking around, just like kind of fogging out, ADD moment spiritually. And I'd be like, hey, 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 if you worship real good, we'll get ice cream after. <laughs> Why? Because your reward, which you won't repeat it. It was in his grandma, it was in his mom, and now it's in him. And Timothy would go on to pastor one of the greatest churches of the New Testament, the church of Ephesus, to which the letter Ephesians is written to. This guy, because he made his faith his own. May I suggest to you, young person, at some point, you've got to make this faith your own. This is not grandma's faith. This is not your parents' faith. This is your faith. This is your church. This is your generation. This is your hour. And Paul comes along in verse 6 and says our theme verse now. For this reason. What reason? Everything we've talked about up to this point. For this reason, I'm reminding you, because you often forget Fan the flame. Stir up the gift that's in you. Because I, I want you to understand, it's already in you. I need you just to fan the flame. Okay, look at me. Look at me. Look at me. You have a gift in you already. Some of you don't know it. Some of you are unaware. Some of you are too scared to use it. And some of you are insecure. That does not negate the fact that God put a gift inside of you. He created you on purpose, for purpose, and he gave you a gift to help you fulfill your purpose. Watch this, though. 1 Corinthians 12, Paul says, I don't want you to be ignorant when it comes to spiritual gifts. Problem is, most of us are. Most people don't know what their spiritual gift is. Like if I ask most people, like, hey, what's your spiritual gift? 
<laughs> Not normally what you say at the grocery store. Hey, what's your name? Okay, what's your spiritual gift? Okay, uh-huh. That's weird. Don't do that. But if you're asked what's your spiritual gift, most people are like, uh, I, I like to eat barbecue. I don't know. 87% of the body of Christ don't know what their spiritual gift is. 87% of the church don't even know why they're here. If 87% of your body didn't work, we would call that paralysis. We've got to figure it out. It's in you. The problem is not possessing the gift. The problem's using the gift. Let me say it another way. I was in South Africa one, last year speaking at a conference, and they took me to this guy's winery that he had 400 cars. It's the largest collection of cars in the Southern Hemisphere. I, I'm a car guy. I went there. Nelson Mandela's car, Ferraris, Porsches, Lamborghini. I mean, just incredible. And then I saw a track, and I was like, oh, it's about to go down. I looked at the, the maintenance guy, the crew, and I was like, you must love racing these cars. He said, oh, no, we don't race the cars here. That track's just to drive them. I said, excuse me? He said, yeah, what we noticed was damage occurs when the cars sit because cars were not made to sit. They were made to be driven. I know There are seasons of preparation and seasons where you sit for a while, but at some point you need to realize you were not made to sit. You were made to drive. Damage may occur. Depression may occur. Distraction may occur when you sit for too long. You need to understand God put a gift in you. Somebody say it's time to drive. To this timid preacher, Paul passionately prescribes from a prison cell to stir up that gift, to fan the flame, and to, and to get it out of you. Because it's in you. It's got to come out of you. Some of you are like, well, Sean, it's not that easy. That's because you, you might be expecting a raging fire immediately. But remember, I didn't start with a raging fire. I started with some small twigs. Somebody say start small. Zechariah 4.10 says, don't you despise these small beginnings because the Lord just rejoices to see the work begin. Oh, I love the picture of a rejoicing father in heaven. Let me say it another way. My daughters, when they were taking their first steps, we, had, we were ready. Camera, lights, ready. And it wasn't even a good step. It wasn't even like, a, they didn't walk around the block. It was one off-balance step. I had my video camera when a cell phone was like a video camera. And when they took the step, it, it was one step off balance and a fall. One step, one step. My wife and I lost our mind. You would have thought we won the Super Bowl. They took one step and we were like, oh, oh, that's my girl. Did you catch that on video? Send that to everybody. Our daughters are so advanced for their age. It was one step. And we rejoice. Why? Because we just saw them beginning. Can I tell you, when you take one step towards God and one step towards your calling, all of heaven rejoices and your heavenly father looks down and says, oh, that's my girl. That's my son. Some of you are like, I feel stuck in life. Of course you do. You'll always feel stuck if you refuse to start. 
Where do we start? I'm glad you asked. We have a growth track at this church. I want every single person to go through growth track because you got to discover what the purpose is so you can actually use your gift to help serve other people. It starts in two weekends. You can join it. I'm expecting that place to be packed and more people to lead connect groups in in September. Why? Because you come alive when you're serving other people. And some of us are like, ah, I don't know if God can use me. I see God using other people, probably not me. I'm just ordinary. You're not as ordinary as you think you are. God always uses ordinary people. He came to a little ordinary boy who woke up on an ordinary day, had an ordinary lunch, and Jesus Christ encountered that boy and used this ordinary boy's ordinary lunch and fed 5,000 people. He encountered an ordinary lady who woke up on an ordinary day, took an ordinary water jar to an ordinary well. And at this well, she encountered Jesus Christ. And this woman who came to a well turned around and became a well for an entire village to come to Jesus Christ. There was a little boy named David. He was just an ordinary boy in an ordinary field watching ordinary sheep. But the hand of God came on him, and he was used to become the greatest king Israel's ever known, defeated Goliath, and wrote the book of Psalms that encourages our hearts to this day. You might have woke up today thinking this is just an ordinary Sunday and had no idea this would be the day that God chose to get your attention and let you know you're not as ordinary as you think you are. There's a gift inside of you. There's a fire inside of you. Fan the flame. Stir up the gift. There ought to be desire inside of you to make the biggest difference in your generation. Because nobody can keep you back. Nobody can stop you. Nobody can keep you from your destiny but you. So fan the flame. Turn and tell two people, fan the flame. Come on, say fan the flame. Fan the flame. The fire's hot, hot. It's not cafe latte hot. It's hot, hot. And a fan means that you give it continual action. You're fanning. It's not a one-time action. It's continuous. Okay, listen, follow me. When you fan, it's not one time. And I say that because we come to church or we come to a conference and we get fired up. We even say, man, I'm fired up. Woo, fired up, fired up. You fired up, fired up. And then that fire's gone by Wednesday. Uh, if, okay, look at me. If you lose your fire, that's your fault. I'm preaching pretty good. People come to church and like, feed me, fan me. Some people even leave another church and they come to another church and they're like, you know, we left our last church because we weren't being fed. I'm sorry, what? Yeah, we weren't being fed. What does that even mean? Guys, we have more Bible than we know what to do with. We have Bible translations. We have Bible on internet. You have Bible on your phone. Download the YouVersion app. You can read through the whole Bible in a year, 15 minutes a day. 15 minutes can save you on your car insurance. Well, guess what? It can also save you from a lot of bad decisions when you get the word of God inside of your heart. If you're too lazy to read it, they have somebody that will read it for you in a British accent. Press the button. And the Lord was with Joseph. Yes, he was. He was with Joseph. Last time I checked, the only people who cry when they're hungry are babies. Grown folks get up and make themselves a sandwich. Feed yourself. Fan the flame. I need you to get up on a Tuesday when you don't feel like it. Don't go to some Facebook quote 
and rely on that to feed you spiritually. Open up your Bible, put some worship music on, and begin to declare the worth of Jesus Christ in your life. You watch as this flickering flame begins to grow into a raging fire. Fan the flame. It's inside of you already, guys. It's already there. Fire goes out without constant fuel. Well, guess what? Feed it. And this isn't even just for you. It's for others. 1 Peter chapter 4, verse 10 says it this way. All of you, each of you should use whatever gift you've had to serve others. Watch this. As faithful stewards of God's grace in its various forms. Wait a second. Um, you want to be faithful steward of God's grace? All right, that means you've got to serve others. But you can't serve others until you know what your gift is. Some people came to Jesus one day and were like, hey, who's the greatest? And he didn't knock him for wanting to be great. He was like, hey, you want to be great? It's great. He just clearly defined what greatness looks like. He said, Jesus said, the greatest among you is those who serve. So apparently, if you're not serving, you're not that great. Sean, how can you say that? I didn't. Jesus did. But you can be great by connecting to your purpose. What is it in your life trying to choke out your enthusiasm for Jesus? What's trying to, what's trying to squelch the fire and put it out? Could it be pride? Could it be pleasures of the world? Offense? Could it be fear? My life was dominated by fear for the first 25 years of my life. Ulcerative colitis, stomach pains, six hours a day, lost so much weight, 125 pounds. I mean, it was bad. But the love of God became my focus. If you're struggling with fear, you don't need to get more bold. You need to get more love. Because the Bible says perfect love casts out fear. I haven't had a pain in 16 years. God healed my body. And Paul knew that there was a certain level of fear associated with using your gifts. So the very next verse in our text says, God did not give you a spirit of fear, but a power, love, and a sound mind. Listen, the phrase do not fear is listed in the Bible 365 times. One for every day of the year. Feed yourself. Fan yourself. It's in you. Some of you have been fearing when you should have been fanning. Do you know that an average household fire, you know, when a fire catches in a fire, not the fireplace, but the, the fire is burning, it can double every minute with constant fuel and oxygen. Okay, look at me. How many of you would like to see this campus and every location in this church double? But the parking is atrocious. Are you kidding me? This is about souls. Some of you ought to commit to say, I'm going to go to the first service just to provide seats in this service because I love seeing people come to Christ. We ought to be so willing to serve and to give and to do whatever. The team goes home tired on a Sunday, sure. But it's a good kind of tired. When you lay our head down on our pillow, we say, that's how you live a day. Connected to purpose, connected to vision. There's marriages that were healed. Somebody was going to commit suicide, but stopped because he found hope and healing at church. I was a part of that. We're using our gift to help serve others. Feed yourself, fan the flame. It's already inside of you. It's flickering. It's there. It might be small. Don't fear. Fan. Don't falter. Fan. Don't faint. Fan. Don't stay fractured. 
Fan, don't fall away. Fan, don't you forget what God has done for you. Fan the flame of God that's inside of you and you watch as we set this state and the world on fire with the love of Almighty God. Come on, if you believe that today, clap your hands all over this place and thank God. Your head's bowed and your eyes closed, every location. Maybe you're here and you say, Sean, my life isn't what I would call right with God, but I need it to be. I want to lead you in a commitment prayer that you can pray right where you're sitting. I'm not going to call you to the front or have you stand. Our heart's not to embarrass you. It's just to connect you to Jesus. Maybe, though, there's another group of you. You were once close to God, but you've drifted away. You know it. God knows it. You almost didn't even come today. But the Lord is calling you home. If that's you, you say, Sean, count me in that prayer. I'm giving my life to Jesus or I'm recommitting my life to Christ. On the count of three, every location, just lift your hand and say, count me in that prayer when you pray it. Come on, one, two, three. Lift it up. Just leave it up. Yes, 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 leave it up, yes, 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 When I got married, the pastor gave me the words, but I meant them, made them my own. I'm gonna give you the words. Can you make them your own to God? Say, Lord Jesus, thank you for loving me first. Today I give my life to you. Forgive me from my sin. Wash me clean. Give me a clear conscience. Be my Lord and Savior. I put my faith in you alone. Take all my gifts and use them. Help me to discover them so I can use them to reach others with your love. I commit to fan the flame in Jesus' name. Come on, somebody say a good amen. Can we clap our hands for everybody who prayed that prayer today? Come on.